All over the world, there are people who, who of faith, maybe not our faith, but people of faith. Do you realize how many of them get to sing how great their God's love is for them? Like none? I mean, we're the ones who get to who get the good news. God lo- God's love for you is stronger than your grandmama's. It is. It absolutely is. Nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of our God. <laughs> That's just wonderful. That's just wonderful. Okay. Uh, guys, I know not all of you are available at 6.30 on Tuesday mornings, but uh, we have a group that meets on 6.30 on Tuesday mornings, the gate, and this coming Tuesday we're going to be starting a new study that some of you may be interested in. We're going to be covering topics from Revelations. Uh, we're going to be talking about the, the end times, uh, the Antichrist, the return of Christ, the millennial reign, the rapture, all that stuff. Uh, and if that's of interest to you and you're available at 6.30 on Tuesday mornings from 6.30 to 7.30, uh, it'll be over in the fellowship hall. And I, uh, you're all welcome, and I, uh, I encourage you to come and uh, eat Chick-fil-A afterwards. So, yeah. Would you stand with me? And let's, uh, let's read some verses of Scripture together. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the, for the life and the power that are in your word. Uh, we don't live by bread alone. We live by every word that comes forth from your mouth. And I pray that, that, that feed us today, Lord. May, may our hearts be receptive. May we receive what you want to say to us. May we be changed. Change our way of thinking. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Um, we, you, we all, we're in a war, uh, we're in battles, you, you know that. Uh, I, I, I doubt that there's anybody here who isn't aware of, of the fact that there, that there is a war raging and that we are part of it. Uh, you're engaged in it whether you want to be or not. You know, you can, you can sit on the sidelines and just pretend like it's not going on, you know, na na da 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 but it's going on anyway. Uh, and your house may still be on fire. Uh, the fact that you pretend like it isn't won't keep it from burning down. So yeah, there's a war going on. But it may not be what we think it is at times. I uh, love my country, love being an American, and even more than that, I love being born and raised a Tennessean. <laughs> Yeehaw. Yeah. There you go. Uh, those of you from other states, God loves you too. <laughs> Just maybe not as much as... 
Yeah, those from the greenest state in the land of the free. Yeah. Uh, but I'm also aware of, uh, of who we are. You know, I mean, I've lived here almost seven decades, and I'm, I'm aware of who we are and, and what we are. And, uh, and when we think of war and when we think of battle, I mean, we, we, have a, we, we tend to fool ourselves. We tend to think, oh, we are a peace-loving people. Pshaw. <laughs> we are anything but. I mean, we were born in revolution. We were born in war. We were, you'd be hard-pressed to find a 20-year period in our entire history where we haven't been at war with somebody, whether they were at war with us or not. We, would, we were at war with them, to be sure. Uh, and, and, as a, and so we have a tendency when we think of battles and when we think of war, we gravitate toward the notions of, of, of armies and best weapons and things like that. Uh, it's intuitive within us. But when we are talking about the real battle that's going on, when we're talking about the battle that, I'm, that, we're, that Paul's talking about here and, and, and the real battle, uh, we need to think in terms of weapons counterintuitively. It's, it's not the things that we in, initially gravitate towards. And, you know, and I'm not just talking about you know, guns and swords and stuff because uh, we know that spiritually that's not really... Uh, now, the church hasn't always known throughout history, but, but we pretty much know that you know, that's not the kind of battle that we're talking about. But we, we still tend to uh, uh, default to carnal weapons. Money, money is a weapon. Money can be a weapon. You know, and we, we tend to think, man, if we had enough money, we could change things. <laughs> the problem is, you see, we, we, the things, we, don't, we don't understand the consequences of things once we start changing them sometimes. Uh, and so actually, if we had enough money, we could really mess things up. Or we, we tend to think in, in terms of uh, culture or the ballot box. I told the early service, you know, I mean... I, Hey, I vote. I vote. I don't, I don't know if there's ever been an election I didn't vote in. Uh, but I, I have come to the conclusion that I don't know that any vote I or anybody else has ever cast has ever necessarily made anything better. Now, it's messed things up a bunch of times, but not necessarily made things better. Yeah. Social media, that, you know, we're, we're going we're gonna to go be a warrior for the Lord on the social media, and we just need to... You know, pay more attention to Proverbs, which says, even a fool is considered wise if you'll just shut up. <laughs> just stop talking and not advertise, you know, what's going on inside there. Uh, none of these things are truly biblical weapons. None, none of these things are, are, are truly biblically based. And, 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 we don't, and the reason why we gravitate for them is because we often don't understand what's at stake. We don't understand who the enemy is. We don't understand uh, the true battle lines that are drawn. And we let the enemy define those terms. And whoever gets to define the terms has already pretty much won the battle. Our sermons um, over the next six months or so, and I say ours because I won't be the only ones bringing them, but we're going to address, um, address a lot of those questions, who the enemy is, what, what, the, what the terms are, uh, how to use the multitude of, uh, of specific powerful weapons that are at our disposal. 
uh, because it's not that we lack for them. It's just that, you know, we, we tend to, uh, to grab for the sugar when we should be grabbing for the vegetables. You know, we, we, tend to, we tend to choose the wrong thing. Today, I'd like to disabuse us of, uh, of some of the false notions regarding the weapons that we fight with and what, what they should be doing and, 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 and what they should be. I grew up in uh, um, an age where I would frequently hear people say uh, a saying, and I don't know if they say it much anymore. I'm sure there's an equivalent somewhere. But they would say, well, now, you know, there's sometimes that you just got to fight fire with fire. You know, how many of you ever heard that uh, statement, you know? And how many of you know what it means? <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, yeah. Basically what it means is sometimes if you're going to fight a pig, get down in the dirt with the pig. Uh, how about this? How about not fighting a pig? <laughs> Just let the pig stay in the dirt. <laughs> I, there was something clever said there, but I didn't catch it. I, I just heard the read, I'm sure. Uh, and some might argue that we can be justified in using the world's weapons when it's for a godly cause. Now, there's a couple of problems with that. And the first problem with that is it might be valid if we were actually qualified to identify a godly cause. But we usually don't do a very good job of identifying a godly cause. And I'm not just talking about, you know, hey, let's get an army together and go take Jerusalem back from the, from the infidels. You know, I, I mean, just all the way around. We, we have a tendency to uh, misidentify, mislabel. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll have something that we don't like, and we'll go after it because it's godly to go after it because I don't like it. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, the other problem with, it, with this thinking isn't just, you know, we sometimes have a, a problem identifying godly causes, but the other problem is this thinking is that it is, listen, the means are the end. The means you use to arrive determines where you have arrived once you get there. Okay. And so, you know, if we decide, okay, well, let's get down in the dirt to fight with the pig. Well, the pig may die, but you're dirty. It's just, that's the way that that works. Paul says over in, in, uh, in uh, Romans, that, you know, some people are saying, because he, he's preaching this message of grace, and he's saying, well, you know, if that message is true, well, then what you're saying, Paul, is let's sin more so that grace will abound. And Paul goes, that's stupid. That's not what I'm saying at all. That's not at all what I'm saying. Grace is a real thing, and sin is a real thing. And, and you know, grace is going to abound. Let's try to not sin. How about that? You know? And so, you know, we have a tendency. Here's the thing. If you make a deal with the devil to get an outcome that's godly, you're just dumb. <laughs> because the devil doesn't do those kind of deals. And he's not capable of doing those kind of deals. And we aren't either. First and foremost, the greatest godly cause that there is, the, the, the essential one, the number one godly cause in your life is for God to be glorified in you. 
That's, that's job one. It's much easier to fight someone else's battle. It's so much easier for me to try and help James let God be glorified in him yeah. than it is for God to be glorified in Ronnie. It's so much easier for me to try and sort Cheyenne out so that God can be glorified in him rather than for me to sort Ronnie out so that God can be glorified in me. Does anybody hear what I'm saying or understand that? Yeah. And, and, and sometimes it's, it's not that I'm trying to help them. be. It's, it's really easy to fight somebody else against them than it is a lot easier than it is for God to be, to be glorified in me. So, our battle is against the, the gays. Our battle is against the, the, the liberal theologians. Our battle is against the, the, the Muslims. Our battle is against the, 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 the atheists. Our battle is against anybody who doesn't look like us, think like us, talk like us. Yeah. And, and that's what we think the battle is. And it's wrong. That's not what, and if we, and if we, if that's, if that's the battle that we fight, then guess what? We, we don't have anything. One of the things that I've learned over the, uh, over the, the course of these last couple of months with, with Margaret and the, and the thing that, um, you know, with the sickness that she's been going through is that you've, you've got a certain amount of energy and you can spend it here or you can spend it there. And when it comes to fighting battles, you can fight here or you can fight there. You, you, you fight where it counts, where, where it actually really matters. We claim we're, we're, we're fighting for God when really we're just Simon Peter swinging a sword in the garden trying to cut heads off, and Jesus is going, put that away. Put that sword away. That's not what I... Don't, don't you understand that if I needed some heads cut off, I can do that? Don't, don't need your help with that? That's not what you were called to do. God is not glorified in my life. And I'm getting ready to say like three profound things, and this is one of them. God is not glorified in my life by my ability to shut someone up or put them down. You know, he's, he's not. He doesn't get glory from that. No. I won the debate. And the devil won the battle. Yeah. Yeah, that's very good. <laughs> uh, God is glorified in my life by the fruit of the Spirit. He's glorified in my life by, by, by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. The battle, and this, this, is, this is another profound thing I'm getting ready to say. The battle isn't for the culture, it's for my soul. It's easy to fight the, the culture battle out there and the culture wars and think that we've done something in here. But fighting out there doesn't necessarily do anything in here. You know, Jesus can look at that and maybe go, that kind of looks like a whitewashed wall to me. Let's see what the bones are like on the inside. Are they alive or are they dead? We read it. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. I can't, take, I can't take your thoughts captive and make them anything. You know, I mean, I, I can make suggestions. I do teaching and stuff. But, you know, I can't, 
you know, I can't j- take Jeffrey's thoughts and, and go, okay, Jeffrey, this is what you're going to think, buddy. No, there's only one person whose thoughts I can take captive. And when Paul is talking in this context of, 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 we're, of warfare and the weapons that we use, he goes, this is, this is the goal. This, so this is the battle that's actually being fought. It didn't take long for the church as an institution to lose its focus on this. Yeah. And so the battle began to turn outward and, and you know, citadel Christianity, if, if you would, sort of begin to happen. And when that happened, you know, the people would lose their focus as well. But that's, that's not really what it is. Uh, and and here's, here's a, this thing that I'm getting ready to say here. If you don't get anything else, get this one. Once we take up the world's weapons, the battle's already lost. We're already done. Now, we may think, okay, we're ready to fight now. Well, you, the fight just ended. And you lost. When I take up hatred, I've lost the battle for love. So as soon as I take that up, I can't show the love of God to you. No matter how I dress it up, and I might dress it up as righteous indignation, I might dress it up as tough love, you know. And I'm not saying, you know, that there isn't a time maybe to, uh, to draw a line, but there's a difference between drawing a line and, and, and just being mean. I don't know that I have ever heard, and, and it maybe has happened somewhere, there's a lot of people in the world, maybe it's happened at some point in time, but I, I don't know that I have ever, ever heard anybody testify, you know, I was away from the Lord, but I came back because my family shunned me and wouldn't talk to me anymore. You ever heard that one? I have never heard it. I, I, you know, the reason I'm following Jesus today and so happy to be on this glory road was because of how tough they were with me growing up. Yeah. Huh. I'll tell you what I have heard a lot. I was away from the Lord. Yeah. But you know, my grandma, she just loved me so much, so unconditionally prayed for me every day, and I finally just couldn't take it anymore. I just had to surrender. And you know why it's always the grandma? Because she's old enough to know that's what you're supposed to do. You know, when you're, when you're, when you're too young, you, you, got, you tend to think, no, I can, I'll, I'll drag them back in. No, you won't. You're just young and dumb. You don't get old. And, and walk with the Lord long enough, and then you realize, I just got to love them. I just got to show them something that they're not going to find anywhere else. The love of God. Well, <laughs> when I take up the quest for worldly wealth and, and worldly influence, the battle's over. That's what the battle was. Was to get me to take up the quest for that because if so, that's what I desire. That's where, that's my treasure, and where my treasure is, that's where my heart is. Yeah, and so, you know, no, another one bites the dust. When I take up, you know, de- when I when I think, okay, I'm going to do this with determination. I'm going to do this with drive. And I'm not saying you shouldn't have determination. I'm not saying you shouldn't have, uh, you know, you shouldn't try. I'm not saying that you shouldn't. But, oh, it's, it's so, and this is, this, is what makes it, uh, this is what makes it hard to explain. 
Because you have to try and surrender at the same time. Because by myself, I can do nothing. Flesh can only give birth to flesh. It takes spirit to give birth to spirit. Well, some might go, well, okay, well, what about, you know, what about the, the battles that, that, that Israel fought in the Old Testament? I mean, those were, you know, swords and, and conquered uh, things and defeated peoples and stuff like that. Uh, two things, uh, two things about that. Uh, first one is uh, apples and oranges. You know, I, I, it really is. We would like, we, we like everything to be black and white. We like it to be simple. I'm a simple person. I just want a simple answer. I, how many of you have discovered that life is not always simple? Yeah. Uh, have you discovered that it, ha- that it has nuances in it? And, you know, not only is there not just black and white, there's not just gray. There's all kinds of colors in there. That, that have to get dealt with at times. And, uh, and, and so here's, here's what you need to understand. Israel was and is a special case. They're, they're, just, they're just special. I mean, you know, I know everybody's special. Everybody's fine. But Israel is special. You kind of go, oh, you know, America's special. America is special. Italy's special. Ireland's special. Israel's really special. They, they, they are an exception there completely. They were called by God. And let me just say, it's not always easy being special. Okay? They were called by God to, to reveal God to the world. He, he's such a big God, he needed a whole nation to, to bring about the revelation of who, of who, he, who he is. Uh, and it required them to maintain their national identity. It required them to maintain their culture. You know, the truth of the matter is, uh, I, I, I hope that America is still going strong when Jesus gets back. But if, if it isn't, God is still going to be revealed and He's still going to come. Israel, on the other hand, had to maintain their, their identity, had to maintain their culture for, for God to be revealed. And the enemy did everything he could to, uh, to prevent the, those conditions from happening, prevent them from, from coming together. And physical warfare was required. It just simply had to be done that way. Uh, the revelation of God to the world came, came through the law and the prophets and through God's dealing with Israel and, and the things that he, uh, that, that he did, the miracles and stuff that he did. But the fullness, the, the, the reason for all of it was the revelation of Messiah. He came. John says over in, first, over in John 1.17, the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So there was this partial revelation, but then there was this, this full revelation. And, and, and it, needed, it needed a nation, and they were them. And the church is not Israel. There are, there are you know, there's some kind of weird teachings out there from here. And, you know, well, the church is now taking Israel's place. The church is Israel, blah, 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 blah. No, it's wrong. Wrong. No. The, the, we aren't called to, to take over land. We aren't called to, to establish a certain culture. We aren't called to, we are called to change people's hearts by bringing the good news of the gospel to the world. That's what we're called. That's what we're charged with doing. Yeah. 
And we aren't called to be culture specific. You know, the gospel, it's, it's beautiful. It doesn't require a specific culture. If you, if you become a Muslim, you will adopt a certain culture because that's what you have to do to practice your religion. If you become a Hindu, you will adopt a certain culture because that's what you have to do. In fact, most, most of the world's religions, if you will, there's a culture attached to it and you, that comes along with it. Christianity, every language, tribe, nation, tongue under heaven. You know, you don't have to wear three-piece suits. You don't have to speak English. You don't have to look a certain way. You, know, you, can, you can follow Christ and look the way you look. Speak the language you speak. Live where you live. So it's not, it's not culture-specific. And even, even in fighting physical battles, that's there were two things. Se- second thing is that even in fighting physical battles, Israel just couldn't use whatever weapon they wanted to use. You know, it wasn't like, oh, that's the best weapon. Let's go, let's go get that one. No, there, God, you, you know, God put some, put some restrictions there. You know, the, the most powerful weapon, the most destructive weapon against their enemies that Israel ever was involved with was the Red Sea. Now, how do you... You just, you don't. You, you, you sit there and you cry out and go, God, help. He goes, okay. Walk this way. Yeah. Gideon, when Gideon was fighting the Midianites, he had 32,000 guys show up, report for duty. And God says, nah, nah, that's too many. Uh, you know, send the cowards home. So all the cowards can go home. You know, you would think that they would be kind of going, I'm not a coward. Are you a coward? 22,000 of them out the door. Yes, sir, right there. 10,000 left. God goes, nah, nah, too many. (laughs) Because if I let you win with this many, you know what you're going to say? We won. So let me me cull this this crop for you here a little bit. We'll send another 9,700 home. Leave you with 300 to fight an army as numerous as the sands on the seashore. And we're going to win, but this time we're going to know who won. God. One of, the, one of the more interesting places in the Bible was when David fought Goliath. That was the second battle he fought that day. See, the first battle he fought that day, the one where he won and, and made it inevitable that he would defeat Goliath, was with Saul. Because when David went to Saul and said, you know, I'll fight this giant. And Saul goes, well, you know, uh, I don't know if you knew that or not. And David said, well, I've killed a bear. I've killed a bear. I've killed a... I'm, I'm better than Davy Crockett. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Not many of you are from Tennessee, are you? I, I, I killed, killed a bear. I killed a lion. You know, and Saul goes, well, okay. Now, <clears throat> here's what you do, son. Here, put on my armor. And go fight, go fight the giant. At least I can do that for you. Yeah. And David puts the armor on. And there's going to be a whole sermon about this later on. And, uh, and it's going to be much better than what I could do because I think Barbie's bringing it. Are you bringing that sermon? Yeah. Uh, but uh, about trying to fight in Saul's armor. But, uh, and you'll have forgotten what I'm saying today anyway by that time. Uh, so he, uh, 
but David goes, I can't wear this. <laughs> and so he, you know, he takes it off and doesn't go fight. Now here's the thing. If he, had, if he had worn it, I have no doubt whatsoever he would have been killed by Goliath. Because first of all, if he had worn it and won, then Saul would get to say, well, it's my armor. My armor, my weapons, you know, I gave to him. And second of all, his trust would have likely had to be there. But when he went, you know, he, he specifically said, you come against me with sword and shield and armor. I'm coming against you. He doesn't say, I'm coming against you with a rock and a sling. He says, I'm coming against you in the name of the Lord. That's what I'm doing. I, I got the right weapon. Bing, you know, rather than picking up the wrong one. Once we, once we pick up the wrong one, we're done. We're lost. What does a victor look like? I'm glad you're still here, Doug, because you can show them, right? Yeah. When, uh, two weeks ago, Doug had the, uh, the privilege of uh, defeating me in the championship game of fantasy football. And yeah, take a look at him. He's, 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 he's doing the Rocky thing. Yeah, there you go. And, and that's what we tend to think. Yeah, yeah that's, that's what victory looks like. Woohoo! Yeah. But the greatest victor that ever lived at the end of the battle, looked like this. Greatest victory that ever happened happened on the cross. So Jesus says, take up your cross daily. Follow me. You want a weapon? Take up the cross. Come and follow me. Back before Margaret and I were married, I used to work for... Uh, the Nashville Public Library, Goodlettsville Branch. And uh, there was a young man who would come in there uh, uh, two or three times a week. And, you know, and I was on fire for God. And, and he was on fire for a cult <laughs> called the Children of God. This, this guy named Moses David would write these tracts, and he had a following and, and stuff. And, uh, you know, we'd, we'd talk. And, and I'm going, you know, I mean, this, this Moses David stuff, this is, this is not what the Bible has to say. Oh, yeah, but he's the real revelation. You see, when Christ came, he was supposed to be the revelation, but he lost. He, he got crucified. Now, well, let me point you to Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. Having disarmed the powers and authorities... He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. It was a triumph. It wasn't a defeat. It's what the world looked like a defeat to the world, but that, that's a pretty good clue that it's wrong, what the assessment was. We, uh, we read it. having demolished strongholds. We have, we have weapons that are powerful to demolish strongholds. And that's what Jesus did right there, was He demolished strongholds. 
demolished strongholds in the world. He demolished strongholds in my life. The strongholds in our lives are, are, are not, cannot be broken by fighting external battles. You know, I, I can publish all my thoughts and ideas on, on, on Facebook. That's not necessarily going to take down a stronghold in my life that is controlling me. It's not necessary, you know, I can, I can vote for all the right people and I can, you know, I, I, can, I can tell all my friends who are sinning that they're going to hell. I, I, I can do all of those things, but that's not necessarily going to break a stronghold of unforgiveness in my heart. Not necessarily going to break a stronghold of addiction in my life. <laughs> Strongholds in our lives are broken by the Word of God and God being glorified in us. By the power of the Holy Spirit, bearing the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. What an underrated word. Goodness, faithfulness, self-control. You don't know what all the weapons are yet, but you know which ones to avoid. And that's a starting place. Would those who are going to uh, serve at the table come forward here? And the worship team can come out. The table of the Lord is a sacrament. And a sacrament is, is defined as, as this. Uh, and I'm going to use a word that we don't tend to like, but I'm going to use it anyway because it's the right word. It is a religious practice, a religious rite through which grace is administered. Through which we come to grace. And so this isn't just, this isn't something we do to please the Lord. This isn't something that we do to uh, because we're hungry. By the way, those who are going to pray with people, they'll go ahead and come forward. This is something we do to receive God's grace. To help us in our time of need. The grace of God may manifest in, 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 in wisdom. It may manifest in a healed relationship. It may manifest in a financial miracle. It may manifest in any number of ways. But as you come to the table of the Lord, come expecting, desiring, looking for grace from God. If you need prayer, these brothers and sisters will be here to pray with you. Let's worship for a few moments.